So I once served at a church where they sang the Nicene Creed. Creed is the ancient statement of faith that the early church wrote to declare what they believed about God. And one of my favorite aspects of that particular musical arrangement was this slightly extended pause between the parts about Jesus being born and his crucifixion and resurrection. The creed goes like this, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And then in this arrangement, in this arrangement there's a beat, there's a pause, and then it goes on, and was crucified also for us. It's a pregnant pause, no pun intended, this, this pause between Christmas and Easter, this pause between birth and death and resurrection. It's not even a full second, and soon enough we carry straight through to Jesus' atoning work on the cross, as we should. But for a moment, for a resting heartbeat, we're invited to pause and consider just the incarnation. Incarnate, like carne, like carne asada, enfleshment. God becoming human and all that's contained in that gift of divine love. Our scripture lessons today are familiar to many of us. The fall of humankind, the shepherds and angels from countless pageants and creches, the Isaiah reading from Handel's Messiah. But as we pause to look ahead to Jesus' birth, I want us to focus on a theme that echoes in two of the passages that we've heard, Isaiah 9 and Luke 2. And it's this, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, that's Isaiah, and unto you is born this day a savior, from Luke. To us is born, to us is given, unto you is born this day. It's not how we talk about most births. The biblical phrasing sounds a little archaic to begin with. It sounds a little archaic in modern conversation, but you might say that a child was born to this woman or this couple. To them, a child is given, if you're trying to be fancy. Unto these parents is born a baby. And the Bible has that too. Isaiah 7, just a couple chapters back, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. A reading from Luke makes a lot of the fact that this is Mary's son. But the emphasis of our readings is that Mary's baby is going to be born unto us. The announcement of this birth to the shepherds and to us is in effect, congratulations, you've had a baby. And the shepherds hurry to find this baby that has been born unto them and to tell Mary what the angel said. Unto us is a child is born, unto us a son is given, unto us is born this day a savior. What's it mean for a child to be born unto us? To be born to and for the whole world. We might know what it means to say Jesus died for us, that uh, his sins are forgiven by his dying for us, but what's it mean to say that Jesus was born for us? Well, I mean, first, what's a birth mean at all? When it goes well, and it's important to acknowledge as our Genesis reading does, 
that not all pregnancy and birth stories are happy ones. But when it goes well, a birth is a moment of staggering promise. It's the addition to the world of an entirely new person, completely unique, someone who has never been seen before and will never be seen again. And of course, on one level, a birth is completely normal. It's nothing special. It's how you got here. It's how I got here. It's how all seven plus billion of us are walking the earth. It's yawningly normal. But the ubiquity of it just masks its marvel. Because in a very real sense, a new human being is the only possibility of genuine newness in the universe. What I mean by this is that nothing but a human being can truly surprise. The material of creation, gases and minerals and the like, they might startle. An avalanche falls, a geyser erupts, but none of these will ever surprise because they're just being what they are. And likewise, non-human life, animals and plants and bacteria, they're living out their internal coding. Animals, as the philosopher George Bataille writes, are imminent to their environment. A lion's just gonna lion. And as we're seeing, a virus is gonna virus. But we have no idea from moment to moment what a human being will do or be. Not just in the big life decisions, the stuff that goes on your resume, but the endless improvisation that is our daily life. Our free will and our consciousness open up endlessly new horizons of possibility. So in one sense, a birth is a simple addition, humankind plus one. But in another, each birth is the addition of infinity. Because each of us is made in the image of God who created all things, and so each of us is a tiny little version, tiny little image of that creativity. The sentences that a toddler speaks, they're surprising. They're entirely new compositions emerging from a totally new perspective on the world. Each one of us is infinitely creative and surprising all the time. All the time. This morning, you've been infinitely creative and surprising. But because we don't know any different, we mistake the constantly unfolding miracle for the ordinary. Now, of course, our newness doesn't mean that we have nothing in common. Every snowflake is unique after all, but like us, they all fall, like we heard in our Genesis reading. We surprise in bad ways, too. We're surprisingly creative at the crafting of idols, something the prophet Isaiah is deeply concerned about, of putting things before God. We're deft at coming up with new and surprising and innovative ways to hurt each other, and to take advantage of each other. And that's the real tragedy of the human condition, cursed as it is by our bent towards sinning, as the famous hymn has it. Our infinite creativity is the source of most everything that's wrong with us. But not Jesus. Jesus' birth, like every birth, is the addition of infinite possibility, infinite newness to the world. 
But unlike your birth and mine, the new possibility that Jesus' life opens up is the redemption and restoration of all things. The new possibility that Jesus' life brings into the world is a new world for you and for me. Unto us is born this day a Savior, because this baby is God, God born into the world for the world. Listen, the angel's message to the shepherds is so familiar, it's easy to lose the significance of what's said. Unto you is born a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. This particular phrase, Messiah the Lord, it occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. Why is that what the angel decides to say this time? Why is that important? Well, Messiah or Christ in the Greek translation, it's the Savior that the Jewish people were waiting for. And Lord is the word used in the name of the, as the, Lord is the word used as the name of God in the Greek version of the Jewish scriptures. So what the angel's saying here is, unto you is born this day your Messiah who is God himself. If we stay in this moment, this cold winter's night, just pretend like you don't know anything that's coming. You, you don't know what the baby's going to grow up and teach. You don't know about his miracles. You don't know about his passion. You don't know about his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again in glory. You don't know any of that. We just know that God has been given to us, not as a heavenly warrior, not as a pillar of smoke or fire as in the Old Testament, but as a baby born in humility and poverty. And God born a baby will change everything for good. You see it in the Isaiah prophecy, this baby is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's going to bring light into the darkness. He's going to increase the nation's joy. He will burn the clothing of warfare, and he will break the burden of oppression. The 2006 film, Children of Men, adapted loosely from the novel by P.D. James, Unpopular Opinion. It's one of those movies that's better than the book depicts a near-future world facing a global fertility crisis. No child has been conceived or born in the movie uh, for 18 years worldwide. It opens with the death of the world's youngest person. And as people gradually realize that nothing new is coming, that what is now is all that's ever going to be, everything falls apart. Turns out the world needs the constant infusion of surprise that children bring. As one character remarks, as the sound of the playgrounds faded, the despair set in. Very odd what happens in a world without children's voices. And against this backdrop in the authoritarian and xenophobic remains of the United Kingdom, where the yoke of burden has come down hard as a bar on people's shoulders, a bureaucrat named Theo is drafted by an activist organization to help smuggle an immigrant named Key to the border. And as they travel, a refugee named Key to the border, sorry. And as they travel, pursued by shadowy forces, Theo discovers the unimaginable. Key is somehow pregnant. And she must be helped out of the country where she will be cared for by the human project, 
which is an initiative to cure the fertility crisis. Their travels eventually lead them to imprisonment in a hellish refugee camp. And as violent rebellion overtakes the camp and the military launches a counterattack, Key delivers her baby, a girl, in a bombed-out building in the middle of a firefight, with mere hours remaining for her to make her rendezvous with the Human Project Courier. Now, in the scene that follows, Key clutches her crying baby to her chest as Theo guides her out of this building. And as they walk, everything stops. Because the baby's cry is a sound that hasn't been heard on earth for 18 years. And it cuts through everything. Ragged groups of refugees turn in amazement and reach out to the baby as if for a blessing. As stray bullets fly, Theo and Key encounter soldiers storming the building, coming up the stairs in full urban warfare armor, and they, they point their guns, and then they lower them, stunned, to hear this baby's cry, and they let the mother and child pass without interference. One soldier bursts upon them only to see the baby, and his shots ring out. He screams back to his men, cease fire, cease fire, and nobody's asking questions. Nobody's trying to explain it. They're all just lost in the wonder of it. The baby's crying is itself the news of the birth. It's brazen. It's glorious as an angel. And as they go, the, the news spreads. And as the child announces herself, the fighting comes to a halt. Utter silence takes hold as an entire unit of Heavily armed men stop and stand in wonder, lowering their weapons, parting to let them by, because every eye is fixed on the child. And there's peace. And then, just as Theo and Key and the baby pass the troops, a mortar hits the building behind them, and the soldiers pivot from the child to the explosion, and their weapons fly back up, and these silenced tongues start to bark orders again, and the battle is rejoined, because the soldier's attention was ripped from the child back to the fighting as Theo and Key make their escape with the baby. The boots of warriors tramp again, and garments are rolled in new blood. The baby is Key's baby, but she's born unto the world unto the refugees and unto the soldiers, the powerless and the mighty. And her birth brings peace just for a moment in, to every tramping warrior in battle tumult, as Isaiah puts it. All too soon the war resumes, all too soon the yoke of oppression drops again, and as the film ends, we don't know what the future holds. But for a moment's pause, for a single beat, the child's birth has offered a vision of a future to a world that didn't think it had one anymore. The question to all of us is what we're going to do with that vision of a child born unto us, of darkness broken by the light of a child God 
born in a cowshed. Of God hopelessly vulnerable, completely needy, crying in God's mother's arms. That's God right there. This infant Jesus, that's who God is. And yes, it's astounding that the cross is coming. That Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in flesh, will lay down his life for the sake of sinners. Mary, did you know? But long before the cross, it is astounding also that God will take up human life in the first place with all that it entails. The surprise of a new human being shot through with the love of God for God's creation. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Imagine a life of surprises, and each one is just pure goodness. Surprise after surprise, surprise after surprise, and it's all just love. I want you to think about this, God born a baby, because this and nothing less than this is what Christianity has to offer. You will never hear another story like this. If it weren't true, it would be insane. Because of all the ways that we might dream up to respond to the world's darkness, to the world's oppression, to the world's sin, of all the ways we might think to respond to what's happening in Genesis 3, a newborn baby would have to be dead last. This wasn't an easy week. The times we live in aren't easy. I'm so glad to see you all here this morning. Because it's easy to read the news and recognize the dominoes falling. Like we've, we've seen the script before. See another lockdown looming. See another season of isolation settling in. I've been paying attention to how people are responding in my personal interactions and seeing how people are doing on social media. And I can, I can see the edges of the despair. Like, how can we do this again? How can I do this again? Is what I hear people saying. And I don't have an answer to that, I'm afraid. But if it's true, and it is true, that God has light at the end of the darkness, and that light is a newborn child, then it's no mystery what this season calls from for us. It calls us to be more human with one another. It calls us to be more human with one another. And that's hard, because the times are hard. And hard times make for hard people. Hard times hurt, and it makes sense to armor up, to get your guard in place, to grow those calluses so you feel less The last couple of years, they've, they've done their best to beat the humanity out of us. I see people sort of settling in to the division and to meanness, sometimes casual cruelty. And these things, they get exacerbated by the holidays, don't they? What are the ways that you avoid being fully human 
with other people? What are the ways that you deny other people your full humanity? And what are the ways that you deny the full humanity of others? Because we've all got our mechanisms and we do it to keep ourselves safe. You self-medicate? One more drink or something else? With the consumption of information, of news, or of something else? Do you emotionally withdraw? Do you shut down? Do you withhold love? Do you get cynical? Do you imagine the worst of others? We've all got our ways, we've all got our armor that we put on. But if we're headed into darkness again, then you've got to be the light at the end. Because putting on armor wasn't what God did. And it's not what God's people are called to do. Jesus came into the world in hard times too, times far harder than ours. And he came with all the softness of a newborn. They are so small. What our times require of us are endlessly tender hearts and of kindness. And if it's a struggle to hang on to that in the weeks ahead, just remember that your God has gone before you, has gone the same way, has come in tenderness, has come as one who required, who needed love, who needed care. That there's the beginning for all of us, that's where we have all begun, and it's the tenderness and kindness that we're called to show to each other. Because in the end, that's how God wins. His authority will increase and there will be peace. How? That's how his authority increases. That's how his kingdom spreads. By people who follow him, who bear his name, and who trust God enough to be human with one another, no matter how much it costs. God bless you. Amen.